Um, who's excited for Thanksgiving? Are you excited? I, Thanksgiving, it's one of my favorite, it's one of my favorite holidays. Uh, I, because I'm a pastor, I can't say it's my favorite, but I love Thanksgiving. And one of the reasons I love Thanksgiving is because the food. I love the food. And somebody mentioned to me in our little break a couple of minutes ago, you always ask about food this weekend, and you didn't ask about food. And so I decided I'm going to bring it up now for you to think about food. Um, with our worship team and tech team this last week, we had a friends give, giving, a serve giving. I don't know what you call it. We got together, and um, all this food came in. I mean, a lot of food. Everybody kind of brought a dish. My favorite dish of Friendsgiving, my wife makes corn pudding. And a lot of people don't know what corn pudding is. Um, if you don't know what corn pudding is, you don't know Thanksgiving. Corn pudding is like a blend. Like, um, so someone asked her, like, how do you make this? And she said, well, you take some cornbread. You take cornbread mix, and you pour cream corn in there and add some butter and then some sour cream, and then cook it, and then some more butter. And I mean, that's it. I don't know about y'all, but corn pudding is it. Uh, what's your, what's, what do you like? Corn pudding. Corn pudding. <laughs> like, I can't think of anything else. Stuffing? You a stuff? Someone said stuffing. I heard stuffing. What else? Candied yams. Sweet potato casserole. That's a good one. I'm, I, I realize I might be losing you for the rest of the morning. What was that? Cranberries. cranberries. How many like cranberries? Cranberries, that's a dividing line. You either love it or you can't stand it. Um, what I've realized about cranberries, if you're like in your 20s, just hold on. You'll like cranberries at some point. <laughs> or, or you'll need them. So uh, whatever the case, it's coming. This was not in my notes. Uh, at this point, we're just talking. Um, so Thanksgiving, you know, I, I love the food, which is true, and you can eat as much as you want and just keep coming back and go to take a nap and watch football and all that. That's great. The best part of Thanksgiving, though, is just family, right? It's just the people who are gathered around the table. And sometimes that's your, your blood family, and sometimes it's family that you choose to be around the table. And there's just something about being around the table with people that you love and um, I, I remember as a kid, I, I probably say this every year, but we would go to Asheville, North Carolina. That's where we did Thanksgiving with my mom's family. And just gorgeous. The Blue Ridge Parkway in, in North Carolina, South Carolina, is just incredible. The leaves changing colors. Um, my uncle, Uncle Tommy, uh, was a firefighter. He was the captain of the fire department in Hendersonville, North Carolina, which is just outside of Asheville. And he had an uh, Army Edition Jeep. Uh, so, you know, the window down on the front, and uh, he would drive us up the mountain, and we would do a bonfire, which this never crossed my mind. I was thinking about this this last week. I always thought to myself, what if we get in trouble for starting a fire in the woods in North Carolina? And it never crossed my mind. He's the fire chief. I think we're going to be okay. <laughs> I just was always worried that somebody was going to find us and see the smoke and all of that. And um, my, my mom and her sisters, my Uncle Tommy didn't take part in this, but they would get together the night before Thanksgiving, um, and they would make uh, what's called, um, uh, it's like, what is it? Ambrosia. Do you know what ambrosia is? It's disgusting. But they would make it, and as they were making it, um, they would fight. My, my mom and her sisters would always fight. It was like a tradition, and they loved it. And uh, we laughed, and that was part of the, that was just part of Thanksgiving. And, um, and then my grandma 
oftentimes would stay up and she would set an alarm at night and she would do a smoked turkey. She had this old smoker and she would get up and change the wood chips in the, the smoker so that we had a smoked turkey the next day. And I just, I loved smoked turkey. I mean, it just, Thanksgiving, is, there's just something about Thanksgiving, being around your people, having the food. And one of the things we talked about over the last few weeks is that Paul, in writing to this early church in Philippi, he was writing from prison, yet he continued to encourage that early church, and I think it was coming from his spirit and from his heart, he encouraged them to choose joy. He kept saying things like, um, rejoice always, and yet he was writing from, from prison. Doesn't that seem like a little bit of a contradiction? He would say, rejoice in the Lord, and I'm gonna say it again, rejoice. Like Paul somehow found a way in some bleak circumstances to choose joy. And the question that many of you um, have posed, some of you to me, is, Matt, how do you choose joy even when you're walking through some of the most difficult things, some things that you might not see the other side of? How do you choose joy in those kind of circumstances? How do you choose joy when you lose your job, you didn't see it coming? How do you choose joy when it feels like the person that you were gonna be with your entire life for some reason, there's some relational stuff that happens, tension, and you're no longer with that person. Like, how do, you, how do you choose joy in that? And I think Paul, if we look at some more of, of Paul's writings and we dig in a little bit deeper, I think there's some things that we can learn, especially around Thanksgiving, that might push us further in that direction. So that's what I want to do this morning. Are you with me? So we're going to go a little bit further in this idea of how do we choose joy even in maybe the roughest of situations. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, you're going to be tempted to, to, to check out here in a couple minutes. And I'm going to invite you and encourage you to stay engaged because I, I really think at the heart of this is something that could set a lot of us free to being more joyful people. And the truth is, every one of us wants to know joy. You do. You want to know that joy. It's, it's, it, you are wired to experience joy in this world. And so I think Paul has some things that, that maybe can help us. And one of the things that we find in his writings and then in the teachings of Jesus, and if you look at the whole of Scripture, is what I'm going to refer to as the gratitude generosity loop. There's this, there's this looping thing, um, uh, experience, that we find in this connection between giving thanks and giving. So thanks and giving, uh, there's gratitude and generosity, this little loop. So I want you to see just for a second, just a snapshot in the New Testament, in the New Testament letters, just a snapshot. This is just a few of the times when Paul and some of the other early Christians write about thank thankfulness. Give thanks for everything to God the Father. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he's done. Like there's this continued idea, concept, encouragement, teaching that if you're a follower of Jesus, if you love God, part of what you will learn and what you will practice is giving God thanks for what you do have in your life. And what this does is oftentimes it moves us 
from focusing on what we don't have or what we want to what we actually do have and what is a reality in our lives. Does that make sense? So, I mean, continually, sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. So what, what, what Paul's writing here is that we, instead of just joining in the choruses that we often hear around us, that we, we instead become a thankful people. We turn our attention from what we don't have. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Let us be thankful again and again and again and again. This idea, concept, practice that if we're followers of Jesus, gratitude should be a part of our lives. Are you with me? So are you grateful today? Are you grateful? Are you, are you, are you genuinely thankful for the God who never gives up, the God who provides everything that we need, and sometimes that everything that we need isn't experienced fully by ourselves, but through other people, like God provides through other people so often, so are we grateful? There's this theme of thanksgiving and gratefulness that is found throughout scripture. There's another theme, and that theme is generosity. There's a theme that runs from the beginning of Scripture to the end of Scripture that is, is the theme of generosity. And here is where I told you you would be tempted. When you start talking about generosity in the church, people start checking out. And I want to, I just, just stay with me for a little bit. I, and I know, because I grew up in church, and every time um, the, the pastor talked about money, I rolled my eyes, and you know, it's uncomfortable, and so um, stay with me, because there, there's, there's a theme here, and, and generosity isn't necessarily the concept of giving money to the church. So I'll go ahead and let you off the hook right there. Generosity isn't just about giving money to the church, and that's, that's not the end goal here. Um, now, I'm not going to take away that opportunity for you, <laughs> but that's not the end goal. So listen to this. In... in in the Old Testament, in one of the Proverbs, so the Proverbs are just these w statements of wisdom. And here's what it says. The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Now, this passage of Scripture can be twisted to mean something that it doesn't mean. This doesn't mean if you give something, then your life is all of a sudden going to receive a lot of things, that you're going to be prosperous in terms of financial wealth. That's not what this is saying. And sometimes we hear that from the church and we kind of roll our eyes. That's not what this is saying. What it is saying is when we are generous, we often find a fullness of life through what it, what it does internally and relationally. When we're generous, something happens relationally in our lives that causes us to prosper. Now, Again, that's not necessarily a financial thing. Another way to say it is those who refresh others will oftentimes find themselves refreshed. Let me give you an example of this. Um, have you ever been on a mission trip, like out of the country? And so off, more often than not, the, um, the story from those who for the first time go on a mission trip out of the country, they oftentimes say, Matt, I thought I was going to bring something to these people and that I was going to be a gift to them, what I found is that they were a gift to me. That's what this is talking about. 
that in our generosity, in our giving, we oftentimes find that we receive something that's above and beyond what we could ever give. And that, that's the concept here. Um, the concept of generosity was built into the Israelites, the Hebrew people. Check this out. In the Old Testament, God instructed and commanded his people that as they farmed the fields, now stay with me, it was a culture of, it was agriculture in this land. So in their agriculture, they were taught as they planted the fields and when they came around to harvest the fields to leave everything on the corners and all the droppings there so that those who were poor and those who were not uh, Israelites would have something in their poverty. God told his people not to be completely efficient, which goes against my leadership lessons like, and your leadership lessons, like if you lead a business, if, if, if you're a coach, if you're a teacher, if you're a financial planner, you're going to hate this. God told his people, I want you to leave the edges. And you're like, so when I, when I turn the John Deere tractor, like I don't come back to get the corner that I couldn't get when I turned. God would say, yes, leave the corner untouched. Now, come on, be honest. If you're a business person, doesn't that sound ridiculous? Wouldn't you be mad if your employee left the corner untouched? You would tell them, go back and finish your job. Why? Because we need to be efficient. We need to get everything out of this land that we can get out of. And God said, no, 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 no. You don't have to get everything out because your generosity will be known sometimes, not in your laziness. I'm not telling you to be lazy. Don't, come on, don't take my words and say something. I'm not, I'm not telling you to be lazy. I'm telling you, that God wants us to share what he's given us. He wants us to be generous with everything because that, in refreshing others, will do something in our spirit and in our soul. How could Paul, in prison, have a joy that just flowed so much? I think it had something to do with the way that he experienced and practiced gratitude and generosity. I think that's where it came from. And the Bible and Scripture kind of leans into it. So don't get mad at me. Get mad at Jesus here. <laughs> Jesus talked about as much about money as he did anything else. Why did Jesus talk so much about money? Well, I'll get there. Here's, here's what he says about money. Um, again, don't email me. Jesus at McDowell.Church. Just email him. You can figure out why he said this. But here's what he says. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eat, rust destroys, where thieves can break in and steal. Instead, store your treasures in heaven, which seems really obscure. What does that even mean? Now, you know, I could stand up here and go, well, what that means is you should give to the church. And so I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward, and they're going to pass. <laughs> That's not what he's talking about either. He's talking about where we're investing, like ourselves, fully. And he's saying, store your treasures in heaven. Well, think about the ways of heaven. Heaven, if, if you can look at what Scripture talks about heaven, maybe what we imagine, heaven is a place of peace, of joy, of rest, a, a place of grace and love. And, and what Jesus is saying is invest yourselves as much as possible into that way, that kind of life, 
Think about sitting around the, the table at Thanksgiving and those relationships. Invest yourself in that first and foremost. Store your treasures in heaven where all this stuff can't destroy and it can't be stolen. And then Jesus says the key of why he talks about money so much. And here it is. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be as well. So what Jesus is, is saying, what he's suggesting is that if our, our focus becomes on what our money can buy and what we can store up here in this world, if that's our focus, that we'll actually find our hearts closely behind it. And what Jesus is after is your heart. He wants your heart. And I think I, I, think I said it this way, that God isn't after our money, maybe, somewhere. That God isn't after, he doesn't just want our money, maybe, we might have that slide somewhere. Nope. God isn't after the money we have. Do we have it? Oh. I'm just going to quit looking up there. Now here, this will, this, will, this will help some of you who maybe have, some of you are going to think I did that just to get you back for a second. This will help. God isn't after the money that you have. Isn't that good to know? That should help you take a deep breath. God isn't just after the money that you have. God's after your heart. And the problem is, the challenge is, and God knows this, that so often our hearts are closely tied to where our money is, which is why Jesus starts talking about our money. Because he's trying to get to our hearts. He's trying to get to the root of who we are. And so Jesus here isn't just talking about like what you're going to do with your money. That's important, but it's not the most important thing. He's trying to get to the heart of who we are. And then he says this, and it's very obscure. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light to the whole body. Ooh, we got it back. Your eye is like a lamp that provides light to the whole body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is really darkness, how deep is that darkness? Now, when I read this, and it's in this context of Jesus talking about treasure, um, I've, I found myself going, what does this even mean? Anybody else a little confused by this? Like, what does this have to do with anything? Um, if I said to you, hey, are you pulling my leg? What would that mean? You're, are you joking me? Are, are, you, are you just teasing? Like, are you pulling my leg? If, if I was in another country and I didn't understand the English language, I might have no idea what you're, like when you say, are you pulling my leg? And I'm like, what do you mean am I pulling your leg? I'm like over here and you're over there. Like what in the world are you talking about? Of course I'm not pulling your leg. But he's asking, are you, are you, are you joking? This is a, a Hebrew statement, a Hebrew saying that we don't know what it means because we're so disconnected. And the idea here is that someone with a good eye sees the world differently than someone with a bad eye. Look at this in the Old Testament, this proverb that says, um, maybe, we might have this one. Um, the proverb says, blessed are those with a good eye, for they feed the poor. Like, it's, it's this saying like, that's in the Hebrew world. So my question is, how are your eyes? 
And if you're my age, you're like, well, my eyes are pretty good except for when I open a book right in front of my face. Then my eyes aren't so good. How are your eyes? What do you mean how are my eyes? How are your eyes at seeing the world as it really is? Are your eyes good and are they allowing light to enter into your whole self? Or, and here's, here's the concept in the Hebrew world, or are your eyes squinted are you greedy and always wondering what someone else is after, which creates darkness in your soul? Does that make sense? Which, like, when I started to realize that, I'm like, oh, that's what Jesus meant. Is that when, when we're storing up treasures on earth, so much of our attention and our focus is on preserving and capitalizing for the self or for me and my creating this kind of world, and what Jesus wants us to have is this kind of world, where we see needs, where we recognize what we have and what we can offer to the needs that are in front of us. Blessed are those with a good eye. And then Jesus goes on, again, get mad at Jesus. No one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and be enslaved to money. You just can't do it. Jesus is trying to get to, to the heart, because he knows the heart is what drives everything else in our lives. Your heart. And if your heart gets distracted, then you begin to miss out on the fullness of life. Let me ask you this. You've heard this before, probably. Um, when someone who's amassed a, a great deal of wealth in their life, and they get to the end of their life... I've never heard of someone in that situation say, I wish I could have made just a little bit more. What often comes out of their mouth is, I wish I could buy some more time with the people I love. It's just a very different perspective. Like, the way that you view, and so often when our focus is on accumulation and building and hoarding, we miss out on what, you know, Paul would, would talk about as joy. We miss out on the joy of life and what comes when we are grateful and generous as people, that whole loop. So then you get to the New Testament and Timothy, Paul and Timothy are, are kind of mentor and mentee and, and Paul's instructing Timothy and he says this, the love of money, you've heard this before, I think. You probably heard it said in, in ways that missed it, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You might have heard that money is the root of all kinds of evil, but that's not what it says. Money is not evil. The love of money can lead to evil. It's the love of money that can lead to all kinds of evil. So, real quick, this is fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me when you begin to study what's in Scripture and what's in modern like psychology and um, the study of the brain and life experience. And I went to a study that, um, that was not born out of the Christian world. It was actually born at UC Berkeley, which um, is not in the Christian like <laughs> tradition. Um, my brother attended UC Berkeley, did his doctorate work, doctoral work there. And um, UC Berkeley put out this study, and what's interesting about this study, look, so often we think 
that gaining more and more and more is what will give us the space to be happier and happier and happier and happier. That's just the way our minds work so often. Look at this study. UC Berkeley, you can go read the study. Wealth tends to make people less generous and more isolated. This, this is a study done by an academic institution that worked to find what brings happiness into people's lives. Their whole study was on how do we become more happy people. Paul would say, how do we become more joyful people? And what this study revealed was that many of us believe wealth is what will give us the space and the time and the stuff to do what will give us joy. And what they found is that people with more and more money were less generous and more isolated. This isn't about everybody. This is just in their study. And both generosity and relational connectivity are strongly associated with happiness. The happiest people in this world are generous and well-connected in a community of love. Those are the happiest people in the world. And the way that I began to like play this out, like I started to think through this, we often, here, I'll own this. You don't need to own this. I'll own this. I, myself, personally, have believed that when I get more, then I'll arrive. If I can just get a little bit more, I can buy more time with my kids. If I get just a little bit more, then I can buy more space with my kids. And it's a lie. The more I pursue more, the more isolated I make myself. I pull away from those relationships. The more we have, the more likely we are to drive ourselves into loneliness and greed. Here it is, the gratitude generosity loop. It's what, it's what I think, it's what I, you know, this isn't in, specifically in scripture. I, it's what I think gave Paul the joy that he had. He understood that in thank, giving thanks and in being generous with all that he had, his time, probably his resources, it's, it's in that that he found the most happiness. So, Paul continues to write to Timothy, and he's, and he's telling Timothy, and Timothy must have been in a space where he had some people that had money, and he says to Timothy, he said, teach those who are rich in this world. Now, time out, because right now, most of us in this room are thinking he's talking about someone else, because I'm not rich. Most of us in this room are thinking that. The reality is, if you take the world, the globe, and you look at it, I would say probably 95% at least in this room, we are rich. So I want you to say this with me. I'm rich. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it? Like you can't even do it. You're like, I can say a lot of things, but I can't say that. Let's say it. I'm rich. Come on, say it like you believe it. I'm rich. Okay, so if you're rich, I want to tell you what Paul said. He, he's, Paul was writing to Timothy. He said, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in money, which is so uncertain. How many of us know that's true? What we have today can be gone tomorrow. Don't trust in money. Don't trust in money. Instead, their trust should be in God who provides all we need. And I love this. Paul wrote this. For our enjoyment, God wants you to find joy 
in what you have. Come on, that should, that should feel good. He wants you to find joy in what you have. He actually provides so that you might find joy. But some of that joy is being stolen by our propensity to hold tightly and to surround what we have with protection. And God's saying, no, 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 no. I want you to enjoy, and some of enjoying means giving, generosity, thanksgiving. He goes on. Tell them to use their money. So here's what we do. Use your money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation. What Paul is saying is that you should have a good eye, and I should have a good eye. I should see the reality that's around. I should see people in need, and I should see that oftentimes I'm the one that God has put here to provide for their need. You and me. We've been provided what we've been provided in order to then become a blessing to someone else, to be God's handiwork to someone else. That's, that's, that's what God wants us to do. So I want to give you, in the last couple of minutes, I'm going to give you some practices to think about, some things just to, to work on, and then I want to close um, with one last thing just about our church and, and our generosity. So here's some practices. Uh, number one, give thanks every day. Wake up in the morning, start with you know, like if, if the first thing you do is pull out your phone, because I know you're going to look at your Bible app, <laughs> not the news app, not, like in the morning, before you do anything else, give thanks for something. And some of you are like, what do I have, Matt, what if I don't have anything to, you have breath, you have another day. Like give thanks for something. What would happen if we would become a more grateful people just in our daily practices? So start the day in the day in gratitude. Let's just practice that. And you can do that this week. It's Thanksgiving week. I mean, this is the easiest week in the world to do this, right? So you can do this. Like give thanks every morning and every night. Start and end your day in gratitude. Number two, pre-plan your generosity. Don't just leave generosity to what's left over at the end. And here's why I say that. Um, they found in these studies, you can go read the studies. There was another one at Notre Dame that I looked at. So there's UC Berkeley, Notre Dame, and there's some other places that have been doing these studies over the last about 20 years. What they said is people who think about generosity, it actually brings more happiness in their life even before they ever give anything. It's like a trick. Like you... you you think about generosity, and the more you think about generosity, the more you experience joy, which then helps you to actually give. So pre-planning generosity does something in our mind to, to move us towards the physical act of generosity. Does that make sense? And it brings more happiness. So just think about it. Don't just leave it to what's left. Look for and respond to the needs that you can meet. I, I believe with everything that I am, that oftentimes we cross paths and there's a need there that we have the power to meet, that we have the resources to meet, that we have the time to meet, but so often our eyes are narrow and we miss it. Our eyes are not good and we miss the need that's right in front of us that, that we might find in providing, it actually brings a lot more joy than, than we're bringing to someone else. Does that make sense? Are you with me? And then the last practice, just give, give generously. And, and you knew I would have to say this because I'm a pastor. Give to kingdom mission. Look, 
I give, and so I'm going to talk about giving outside this church. Like, the Bible Project is a mission that I think is helping people understand the Bible more and more. So I give to that monthly. Robin and I give to that monthly because I believe in it. The View version, um, Life Church gives away for free the Bible app and all that comes with it. And they could charge for it and probably make a lot of money, but they give it away. Like, give to that kind of mission. Charity Water is a great organization that we've given to in the past because we believe in what they're doing. Like, give to kingdom ministry around, around the world, around the globe. There's some here in our city. There, I mean, there's some great things. If you don't know of any, ask us. We can help you. But give to kingdom mission. Something happens. There's this, there's this gratitude, generosity loop. Something happens when we begin to practice gratitude, thanksgiving, and something begins to happen. We experience more and more joy when we become more and more, when we practice generosity and sharing what we've been given with other people who are in need. Now, um, I told you I'd talk about generosity in our church. So uh, I want to talk about giving here. Because this church, we receive no outside funding. All of our funding comes from people who believe in the mission God has given us and give to it. And so I would encourage you to consider, as you think about your year-end giving, to, to giving here. Now listen, I, and I mean this, if you do not trust the church, this church, then I would encourage you, give to a mission that you trust and that you want to see the kingdom. Because I don't want you to give under pressure or because you're manipulated to give. That's not my heart at all. And trust me when I say that. I would say, over time, I hope you come to trust this church so you can give here. And if you don't, if you can't find that, I would encourage you to find a Christian community that you can trust and that you can give to. I think that's vitally important as followers of Jesus that we find a people, a congregation that we can further the mission of God together. And I think we can do so much more together than we can separately. So here's what happens in our year in giving. Sometimes people will say, Matt, you always push year in giving. What do we do with that? Here's what we do. Number one, we wanna fully fund the mission and the ministry of this year. That's the first piece of uh, import, what's most important to us is that we believe God has put some things right in front of us and we want to fund that. We want to make sure that we're funding completely what's right in front of us. Number two, we want to provide for ministry capital needs. Just like you have a house and you have some capital needs from time to time, we have some capital needs that we don't budget. There's, time to time, there's times when we need to invest in some capital items that are not a part of our budget outside of that. So we want to provide for those things. Number three, we want to retire debt and move towards a debt-free ministry model. We said this, yeah, we said this years ago. Some of you are very passionate about this. We are as well. We, we have gotten more aggressive at paying down debt. Um, to, just to give you a, a little glimpse of where we are, we have $2.2 million of debt, so it's not a crazy amount of debt. We would be considered healthy by most church consultants. Uh, $2.2 million of debt. This year, our interest rate in January was 0.9%. Awesome. Except for today, it's 5%. And here's why that's important to us, the debt-free ministry model. Because instead of giving to interest, we could be giving to mission. That, that's the whole concept there. So we want to we get aggressive at paying down debt in order to give more to the mission that God has put in front of us and to give more to our ministry partners. So we want to retire debt. Um, we want to further create a ministry reserve for overall church health. Listen, 
Um, I first came to McDowell in 2008, and there's some board members in the room who could say this uh, alongside me, so I can, I, this, this is true. Like, until the last couple years, we have never had a reserve for our church in the event of down months or challenging times. And just like you need a reserve and some margin in your budget, the church does. And so we have been working to build up a little bit of a reserve, and we want to continue to do that. So year in giving, when we talk about year in giving, these are our priorities. I felt like you should know that. Um, we want to become a place of gratitude and a place of generosity. And in so many ways, we are because you are. And I love this place. The year end is a perfect time to reflect on God's blessings to us. It's why we do Giving Tuesday, to reflect on God's blessings to us and then be generous with other people. I want to encourage you to do that in your life. Sit down, spend some time, consider how God has been good to you, and then turn that into generosity to others. Does that make sense? Will you stand with me? Um, listen, we love you. We're so grateful for you. Uh, I, this week... I'm going to spend some time with my family. I hope you spend some time with your family. I, some of you got some family in the room that aren't normally here, and you're like, Matt, my family came and you talked about money. <laughs> here's, what I, here's what I hope you take away, that I didn't just talk about money. I talked about how God is pursuing your heart. That's what God wants. He wants your heart. And when God has your heart, you begin to experience a fullness of life. I begin to experience a fullness of life that money will never be able to buy. So let's trust that God. Can we do that? Can we trust that God? Let's give thanks to that God, and let's be generous with all that he's given us. Amen? Amen. Have a great week. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving.